Let us now please turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Let us look at verses 66 through 72. Mark 14, verse 66 says, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a cock crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the cock crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus has said to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us your wisdom and your insight into how this passage of Scripture applies to us and illumines even the gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, from the details of the book of Acts and even the evidence that you can study in the book of Mark, it is commonly understood that Mark was very close with Peter. Peter told Mark his own eyewitness experiences and his own perspective of Jesus Christ, which Mark then wrote down in his gospel account. Even though Mark was not part of the 12 disciples, there is a church tradition that Mark was part of the 70 disciples that at one time Jesus sent out there on a local, local mission in Israel. So Mark was in proximity with Jesus' earthly ministry, but considering that part of the 12, he's not part of the 12, and he gets his main source from Peter, we need to understand that when Mark writes about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing about it from Peter's perspective. And so whenever we come to Peter's denial, this is really an account of Peter telling on himself. And here, Mark is recording, for the rest of time, the worst moment of weakness in the life of Peter whenever he denied the fact that he knew Jesus Christ. Today, what I want to do is talk about the backdrop, the burning, and then the buildup. Let's talk about the backdrop first. Jesus here 
in this passage of Scripture, and the backdrop is dealing with the surrounding text. Let me paint the picture for you. Jesus is surrounded by sinners and sinfulness throughout Mark chapter 14. This is a brief summary of what I've spoken about lately. It's a dark, black, disgusting backdrop. And this backdrop is like a contrast to help show the light and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you briefly. We saw first the betrayal of Judas, and that was a sin of apostasy. Right after that, we saw the cowardness of all the apostles as they just run away and flee as Jesus is arrested. We saw at Jesus' trial the false accusations of the high priest, the lawless one there, leveraging the law against Jesus Christ and, and gathering false witnesses to accuse Him. And now we're at the point of one of Jesus' closest disciples denying Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus did have, yeah, He sent out the 70 disciples on a mission journey one time. He had the close 12 disciples. But then Jesus had even a closer group of disciples, the three. Peter, James, and John were with Him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were with Him when He comes into, the, into Gethsemane to a, a secluded area to pray to the Lord. Peter, James, and John are those close three disciples. And here, one of those three, Peter himself, will betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this theme of being surrounded by darkness and evil and sinfulness is going to carry over into chapter 15 with Pilate, with Barabbas, the soldiers mocking him, and the mocking of the crucifixion. But these two chapters, chapter 14 and chapter 15, the darkness of it, the background of it, is helping to, that for you to see the light of Jesus shining in front of you. Because what does Jesus do? He maintains His frame. Jesus does not deny who He is. And Jesus Christ, even His prophecies, are coming true with Peter's denial. His prophecies are coming true with the being rejected and crucified. Everything Jesus is doing is like a bright light shining there, surrounded by darkness. The light shines in the midst of the darkness in this context with the Last Supper. I want you to turn, please, back to the Last Supper because this will be important very soon. Mark chapter 14, this is where the darkness starts to invade and the light of Jesus starts to shine. In Mark 14, verse 18, it says, Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Surely I say to you, one of you who eats with me, will betray me. This begins the context of darkness with Judas's betrayal and Jesus is shining his light. But you need to pick up on one word in this little passage that's going to help you appreciate what Peter does. Not appreciate in the sense of it good, but you'll appreciate the gravity of it, the seriousness of it, and what, 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 what Mark wants you to notice. The one word in verse 18... Chapter 14, verse 18, I want you to notice is the word sit or sat. As they sat and ate, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Notice this. Jesus is surrounded by all these men 
All these men at least will forsake, will, will leave him, forsake him. One will betray him and one will deny him. And here is the light of Jesus shining. It is like they are surrounded and they are in communion together. They're there. But there's this contrast <clears throat> of the light of Christ and the darkness of all those who are sitting. The reason why I mentioned that word sit or sat is because it's also emphasized here later in chapter 14, verse 54. Look at verse 54. In verse 54, excuse me, Peter, it says, followed Jesus at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and he warmed himself by the fire. This leads to my second point. We've talked about the backdrop. Let me talk about the burning. The burning of a false fire here. Peter is in a different set of a communion, you can say. He moves from the from the upper room where he was sitting with Jesus Christ, surrounded with the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper, sitting there in that communion, in that fellowship meal. Now he comes to a different place, a lower region in the courtyard of this temple. And he has his hands out, implicitly, he has his hands out, warming himself by the fire here with everyone else who is associated with who? The Antichrist. Remember last week or a week ago or two, I spoke about the high priest was the Antichrist of this generation because this person is bringing false accusations against Jesus Christ. And so he is with the enemies, warming himself by the burning of this false fire. Also, to emphasize the point I've been reiterating, remember I've been saying that Jesus is the light who shines in the darkness here? You should pick this up and understand that when Mark writes about Peter holding his hands out before this fire, Mark uses an interesting word. He doesn't say it was fire. He says it was light. There's another word in Greek for fire. Implicitly, yes, this is fire implicitly. He's warming himself by it. But literally what Mark says is he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the light. Mark wants you to understand that this is a different communion setting. This is a different environment that Peter has subjected himself to. Peter is surrounded with minions of Satan, okay? People who want to do Satan's dirty work and know that as the accusations are given to Jesus Christ, or excuse me, let me say this, before the accusations, the false accusations are given to Jesus, how does Mark introduce it? He introduces the fraud against Jesus, the accusations against Jesus with Peter sitting there by the fire. So it's interesting. As Jesus is going through his trial, standing on his own, 
before the high priest, there's Peter right there warming himself by this light. It reminds you of Psalm 1 when the first psalm talks about blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor sit in the seat of the mockers. He is like a tree that is planted by the water and he blossoms and grows. Peter is not following the first psalm here. So you see that how Peter has surrounded himself with the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemies of his disciples, put himself in harm's way, and this sets him up. He is setting himself up for his own denial, his own failure. This leads me now from the false burning, the the burning of a false fire now to the buildup in Peter's denial. You'll notice this when you read slowly about the three denials of Peter. He starts by denying Jesus Christ, but then he builds up. He actually denies more than simply Jesus. Let me show you this. Look at verse 67. It says, When she, this is the servant girl, the high priest, or I would say this, the servant girl, the Antichrist. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were with Jesus of Nazareth. Notice this, that there's singularity. In this first accusation, or this first charge that she brings against him, it's only about Jesus. It's only about him. And clearly, That's whenever Peter says, I do not know what you're talking about. Who is he? He denies him the first time right there. There's singularity to what she is saying. But then, notice her second second statement in verse 69. The servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, she said, this is one of them. Did you notice a change, the pronoun there? It's, it's plural. One of them. What is them? Them is the twelve. The twelve disciples. The group that was following Jesus. This is them. Part of the seventy. This is them. Whoever it was following Jesus Christ. This is one of them. She's telling others. This is interesting. She's telling a group of people that this man belongs to another group, the group, the disciples of of Jesus Christ. So in this second denial, he is not simply denying Jesus. He's denying the church. He's denying the community of disciples. He's denying the followers of Jesus. Well, it doesn't stop here. It builds up. In the third speech, it says this a little later. Those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. What they heard was his accent. You know, you, you can hear someone's accent sometimes, and if you're familiar with the location, you know, you know you're from New Orleans, you know? or you're from New York, something like that. Well, they know, oh, you're from Galilee. That's your origin. That's your identity that's where you're from 
That's what they're saying. Therefore, you must be one of them. Peter denies that too. So think about that. What is the third denial, the buildup here? He's denied his own identity. He has denied his own origin. His own place where he grew up. Do you see the snowball effect of denial here? And then, G- and then Pete. Peter says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. So let me put this together for you. As Peter is denying Jesus Christ in all three of these, he's also denying himself, his personal identity, the people he belongs to, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It helps you appreciate in a kind of a negative way the unity that you have with Jesus Christ. If you deny Jesus Christ, you're denying who you are. You're denying your baptism. You're denying the name of the Holy Trinity that was sprinkled upon you. You're denying, really, a substance of you. You're actually injuring yourself. So this is the deep sub-levels of what Peter is doing here as he builds up denials in his denial of Jesus Christ. Let me move now to make two applications for you concerning this brief passage of Scripture. And that is this. When you think about Peter's denial and the fact that Mark is writing this so that nobody would ever do this again. And Peter is telling this on himself so that you will not function like this in your life. Number one, it helps you understand this, that Christ has a higher value than life itself. Christ has a higher value than life itself. Last week, I briefly mentioned about the biblical theme called righteous deception. Righteous deception in the, in the Bible is often used in a righteous way where God's people will deceive an evil tyrant or an evil ruler in, in order to do what? In order to save life. For example, the, the Hebrew midwives, they deceive Pharaoh and lie to him to save the lives of children. Rahab in Jericho, she deceived the men at her door and said they went out another way, but she was hiding the Israelite spies in her house and she did right, she did righteous. David had righteous deception. He, he acted insane. He drooled on his beard and scratched on the doors of a city gate and acted like a crazy man in front of the Philistine king in order to save his life. But in all of these instances of righteous deception throughout the Bible, they never deny the faith to save their life. They never deny the living God in order to save their life. It shows you that righteous deception has a limit, a check, and a balance. God never expects you to deny your faith, to deny Him, him the Lord Jesus, in order to save your life or to make your life better or to keep your job. Don't ever think that you need to deny, that God expects you to deny your faith in order to make things better for yourself. You make the sacrifice 
You become a martyr. You become poor. You lose your job. Go find something else. If, if, if they are asking you to deny Jesus Christ in order to make things good for you, then you stand your ground and say, I will not deny the faith. This is why the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is in the Bible. They did not deny the faith toward Nebuchadnezzar in order to save their life. And Peter is written here, Mark writes about Peter here in order to give a negative example of what you're not to do. And Peter is writing about this, encouraging Christians to read about his greatest failure so that Christians would never do what Peter did at this weak and sinful moment in his life. In fact, on a very positive way, or on a positive level, the the Scripture often encourages Christians never to deny their faith, even in the face of death, even in the face of imprisonment, even in the face of great loss of, of comfort in culture. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, They overcame Him, this is the saints, overcame the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. It means they did not love life so much that they tried to save their lives. They actually gave their lives, and they won. They conquered the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And then in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it gives a long list of the types of people who are burning in hell. And there's, there's number one. The first one mentioned who is burning in hell is the cowardly. It says, Re- Revelation 21 verse 8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So yes, I did mention righteous deception last week. The Bible has that critical theme of how to navigate hard times under tyrants or pharaohs or a type of antichrist where, uh, you know, if the Nazis come on, come to your door asking where the Jews are, and you know they're hiding in your attic, you can tell them, you know what, those Jews went way off down the street down there, okay? They're, I saw them keep going. They're way over there, I promise you. They're way over there. And you'll be protecting their life. But in something like that, you can't say, I deny Jesus Christ and I'm not a Christian. That the Scripture does not allow for apostasy or denial. But I'm not going to end with a bad note like that. <clears throat> I want to end on a good note. It's how Peter glorified God later in his life. And the second application is this. The more you grow in the faith as a Christian, the more you value Christ over your life. This is what Peter would learn. At the end of John, chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus predicts the future about how Peter will die. In John 21, verse 18, Jesus told Peter, Assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, 
You girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And John gives his own commentary on what Jesus is saying. And John says, in verse 19, John says, Jesus spoke this to signify by what death Peter would glorify God. And when Jesus had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Church tradition states that they bound Peter in the city of Rome. And as they went to go crucify him, he said he did not deserve to be crucified like his Lord. So therefore, they crucified him upside down. And Peter did not deny the Lord Jesus Christ in that event. What he did was he followed Christ. So the encouragement of this is you see maturity. You see growth in the Apostle Peter. He goes from denying the Lord Jesus Christ early in his life here at a young age, but later in his life he grows. He grows more and more like Christ. He follows Christ all the way to the death. And the beauty of this passage in John is how John says, this is how he would glorify God. He's crucified. He's tortured. He's upside down. He dies his horrible death from this human perspective. But John writes about how God sees it. God sees it as a way of glorifying God. And the fact is, Peter won. Peter won the victory. Just like in the book of Revelation, he did not love his life to the end. So the, the Bible gives you wisdom as Christians. It gives you wisdom of how to live in a, in a time of tyranny, in a time of oppression, um, in a time of brutality like we see in so many parts of the Bible. But also it gives you a limit. It gives you wisdom to know this is the time to make the sacrifice. This is the time to go ahead and lose the job. This is the time to make the hard decision. This is the time to follow Jesus, take up the cross, and die. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks. We give you praise for your word. We give you thanks for the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll continue to grow us in the image of Christ, that we will win from victory to victory. And that you will grace your church with your Holy Spirit's presence. So as the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, that we realize that in all these things, in all sufferings of life, that we conquer through him who loved us and gave himself for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.